This is a very simple but powerful message. You are worth it. You are worth it. I just want you to hear that and to let it sink in, to know that no matter what kind of pain you're experiencing, what kind of internal or external uh, chaos is in your life, you are worth it. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance podcast, Dr. James Perdue. It's that time again for us to come in and inspire, educate, motivate, and show people that whatever you're going through in life is worth living to the fullest. We get hit hard sometimes, but we get up and we move on. And so today our guest has been dealing with multiple personality disorder. Ah, we have a new term for that nowadays, and we'll come to that here as soon as we meet her. All right. She, uh, in 1992, her inner and outer world just fell apart. Suicidal, made an attempt. Thankfully, she failed at this attempt of suicide. Uh, she spent 30 days in an inpatient and lost her family. Also, at the same time, she was a teacher, school principal, adjunct instructor, and was uh, in constant pain and thought she was going crazy. She is the author of the book, Crazy Memoir, Crazy Reclaiming Life from the Shallow of Traumatic Memory. Welcome to the show today, Lynn Barrett. Hello. It's good to be here, James. Thank you, Lynn. And a nice book cover. I like the uh, I like the uh, colors representing, I'm assuming representing the multiple personalities with the coloring. Uh, I could be wrong, but... It looks, you it looks are nice. absolutely right. Uh, each of those um, uh, uh, colors is uh, supposed to be the, a silhouette representing a different part of me. So um, I had uh, probably close to 12 or, or excuse me, close to 20 uh, different parts uh, of me or alters as we call them. Um, but, uh, in the book itself, I really talk about 12 of them, uh, which is why I said that name, but yes, um, in 1992, I was diagnosed with multiple personality disorder. Two years later, that, uh, name was changed, uh, to dissociative identity disorder. So you don't hear the MPD word, uh, very frequently, but you do hear the DID word. Um, and it is portrayed uh, on television and in movies, uh, on YouTube, uh, sometimes very accurately and sometimes very inaccurately. Um, and so I'm here today, um, hopefully, to tell you and your listeners uh, a little bit about my story, um, but also to um, educate uh, with some, uh, some accurate information about what DID actually is. And that, that is one reason why I'm glad you're here is I know very little about DID. Uh, I've just heard of the multiple personalities, heard, you know, you, like I said, you see 
a very misrepresentation in TV. You know, That's you right. see these That's people, right. it's very, I mean, they, they, they blow it up to get people's attention to focus on the show, uh, yes. which is not a fair reality of it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't like going to movies anymore when, when it says uh, based on a true story, that means they've embellished it just to keep you there. And <laughs> so stuff, stuff in there may or may not be exactly true. When it says based on the truth, I don't like going to them anymore. When I, when I finally <laughs> figured that out. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I saw a, a TV show um, recently. My husband and I watched it. And in more than one of their um, episodes, they um, were talking about uh, someone, a client who w may have been possessed, but actually uh, had dissociative identity disorder. And I felt that was an unfair representation because it sends people the message um, that uh, it is really um, uh, it, uh, something that it absolutely is not. And yeah, while you got the devil in you. Get the devil out of here. <laughs> that's know, right. The, that's the, right. That's what I'm saying. The, the, the TV, again, they're trying to keep your attention, trying to keep you in there, but they blow it up so, so huge and badly. That it's not a good representation. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. All right, uh, Lynn. So, again, appreciate you being here, sharing your valuable time. I like to tell people I really appreciate your valuable time. I know you got better things you could be doing, but I'm glad you're here. And, again, going to educate me and others about this DID and, and going from there. And so, uh, also, your memoir, again, is called uh, Crazy Reclaiming Life. From the Shadow of Dramatic Memory came out just weeks ago. Just came out this <laughs> month. And so I uh, appreciate you coming in and sharing that. All right. So take it over, Lynn. You go ahead and you hang. And I'll just ask questions as we go along. You just run, okay. run with it now. I'll, I'll hang in there and do uh, the best that I can here. Uh, so um, uh, the title of my book is Crazy, uh, Reclaiming Life from the shadow of traumatic memory. And <clears throat> I want to clarify the word crazy. Um, I was not crazy, nor is anyone who has dissociative identity disorder or DID crazy. But many of us sometimes feel crazy um, until we are able to discover and uncover this disorder. Um, it can feel very crazy but it is very treatable um, and it is very possible for us to heal and live full and whole lives. Um, and I want to say that up front to give everyone the sense and the understanding that there's hope here. There is lots and lots of hope. Uh, but when you're in the middle of it, it feels very hopeless. Um, so dissociative identity disorder is caused um, by chronic early childhood abuse or trauma. Um, not just one experience or two, but many on an ongoing basis. And um, what happens is the child's brain is still malleable. It's not um, completely developed. And so the, when, when, when a child is experiencing an awful um, situation or, or one that is dangerous for them, 
um, it, it they they will dissociate, which means uh, sort of um, separate their mind from their body a little bit. Now that's something that we all do sometimes. You know, we we all separate our bodies from our minds for simple things, just for being bored, right? If you're sitting in a lecture hall and uh, a boring professor is droning on and on and you're looking out the window instead and you're watching the birds and you're watching the kids kick the soccer ball around your mind leaves your body and is out there on the lawn and and that's a very benign form of dissociation but dissociation uh, also kicks in when we are in danger and so veterans coming home from war with PTSD experience dissociation. Um, rape victims experience dissociation. Um, but veterans and rape victims do not have DID um, unless they had early childhood trauma because that develops only when the child's brain is very malleable. So I want you to think of it this way. A child is totally de de dependent on their caregivers, uh, which is usually their parents, but not always. It, it could be other people, teachers, other people that are important to them. So they're dependent on them. Uh, and if that same person is abusing them on a regular basis, it actually becomes functional for them to sort of block off the memory of what's happening so they can go back and trust that person again, because if they couldn't trust that person, they can't take care of themselves and, and they really are at, at a loss. So it is functional for them to, to sort of separate off this memory of abuse or this emotion uh, that they experienced into different parts. And if it keeps happening, then those parts become uh, more solidified with amnesic barriers so that that, that one part of you really isn't aware of the other part. Now, this is actually really functional in childhood uh, because it, it protects the child. It keeps the child from um, succumbing to um, actual craziness or, or even death in a, in a very dangerous situation. And it also enables them to go back to the people who are feeding them, who are clothing them, who keep a roof over their head. Um, and so it keeps the abuse a secret um, from everyone, including the child uh, or including the child that's presenting uh, uh, the face that they're fronting. So um, it's functional in childhood, but it's very dysfunctional uh, in adolescence and adulthood, because at that time, at those times, um, we're, we're, we're probably no longer in danger and um, we have these parts that don't even know about each other and we don't know about them. And we have memories that we can't connect with. And we are starting to feel very, very um, crazy is, is how we feel. So it's very dysfunctional in adulthood. Um, I can share with you a little bit about what my symptoms were. They can be, I think most people, uh, with DID have experienced the same symptoms I have, or at least similar ones. And some may have experienced other symptoms, but this is in general what the, um, what the, um, the symptoms are like. Uh, first of all, I, I didn't feel like I was me. Um, and my, my circumstances and my surroundings felt unreal. Now, hold so, on, Lynn. 
I don't know how how old were you when you started recognizing this pattern of inconsistency? Yeah, that's a really great question. Uh, so I want to say uh, in my mid thirties is when it started for me. For some people, right. it starts later. For some, it starts earlier. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It's not a it's not a one stone fit all thing. Yeah, it's it's right. We're all different. We all do things, and yep. So you were roughly around thirty. Yeah, and 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 so I was I was married. I had four children, and I was so happy being a mother. I mean, that was really my calling was being a mother, and um, and, and taking care of my brood. You know, being a good wife and all of that. Um, and 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 so there's in reality, I I wasn't aware of it at the time. And didn't learn for quite a few years later, but but my husband was having an affair, and and so I didn't know that. But I think some parts of me were aware that there was something that wasn't quite right, and so that really accelerated um, my decompensation. Um, and I um, so I I was saying I didn't feel like I was me. I was mothering my kids, but I. Uh, it, it sometimes it just felt like this wasn't even my home. Sometimes it even felt like these weren't my children. Uh, my emotions and my thinking didn't match. I had multiple strands of thought going through my head at one time. I couldn't remember anything about my childhood. I had body pain everywhere. Sometimes I would just crawl up in bed into a fetal position because I could barely move. Um, I had suicidal ideation, um, and I did, as you mentioned, uh, actually follow through on that one time. Uh, and I uh, thank God that uh, I was not successful. And we I'll, think, I'll say we thank God that you were about, a failure at that as well. Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, so it, now here's the interesting thing. <clears throat> at the same time, all of this was happening at home and inside my head and my heart and my body, I could go out every day and excel at being a teacher and, and a little bit later actually excel at being a school principal. Um, so, and, and I was aware of that. I was like, how can this be that I can be so competent and capable in, in school, but I, I, I just roll up into a ball at home. How can this possibly be? I, I really um, didn't understand that. Um, so I had I had made that suicide attempt and, and I, I kept I just kept working and working. It was like climbing an uphill um, uh, mountain. You know, you just keep you keep climbing and you keep falling back. And so two years after that attempt, I um, uh, checked myself into a um, uh, the women's unit of a psychiatric hospital for 30 days. And that helped to stabilize me because I really was had been suicidal before I had gone in. Um, it stabilized me. It didn't solve any problems. I got there was no diagnosis at that time. I still had no idea what was causing this. I still felt like I was crazy, but at least I was I was stable at that point. And um, so I came out. Uh, of the um, hospital, I actually moved to a different community. I got a different job and uh, I found a new therapist who um, was a, a trauma-informed therapist. And um, with her, uh, my, my alters began to 
uh, show themselves because they could really trust her. Um, the first altar that I met uh, was named Rosie, and I, I learned about her in a twilight dream um, that I had um, where I heard this message that said to me, uh, you have a twin sister, but she is me. And they gave her away, and her name is Rosie. Now, I didn't have a twin sister, and my parents didn't give anybody away. Um, but this was sort of the story, the in, inner story that this little um, three-year-old child named Rosie um, had had woven. And um, and so I, I that was just sort of a message uh, from my insides to tell me about this. And it wasn't until, you know, probably maybe eight, ten months later that she actually came up and started to talk and tell me some of her story. Um, and, and indeed, that is um, how we begin to heal uh, from DID is when we allow our, um, our altars to come forward and to talk to us and to tell us their stories and to tell us their experiences. Now, that's not always an easy thing because we have some altars that are really difficult. Uh, so we might have angry altars or we might have an altar filled with shame or we might have a sexual altar. Or we might have altars with all different kinds of purposes and functions as I did. And some of them are not fun to be around or at least they weren't in the beginning. Every time a different altar would come forward in the room, uh, the therapy room, my, my therapist would say, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, you're safe now. And I hope you come back again. And so what we find is that our altars are all, uh, they all began as hurt children. Now, some of them grew up a little bit. I had teenage altars and I had a, I had an altar who was really an old woman who took care of Rosie. She was really tired of taking care of this child. Uh, so, so they can be all different ages inside of you. But in, in, in point of fact, they begin as hurt children um, and uh, who, who are actually protecting us uh, during a time when we're being abused. Um, so I, then I was uh, at, at this point. So my, my therapist thought that I, would, that I had at that time called multiple personality disorder, uh, but I didn't trust that. And so I um, went to a psychiatrist uh, who had um, uh, a great deal of experience in this, and I was evaluated, and he, uh, in fact, confirmed that diagnosis, and that was in uh, 1992. So I, I often divide that period, that 20-year period of my life into two. Um, actually, if, if, I, if I take a 30-year period of my life, I can divide it into thirds. So the first 10 years was decompensating, falling apart, totally feeling crazy, having no idea what was going on. And the only solution was to die. Um, the second 10 years of my life was having the diagnosis and then beginning the appropriate therapy. I still felt suicidal sometimes. I still felt crazy sometimes, but at least I knew what was what was behind the root the root of the of, of what was going on? And let, me, I, let me ask this question now: uh, Still being suicidal, was that one of your alternates that was you know, suicidal yes, pushing it through you, or it was you 
just because of all the emotions and think you're going crazy? I so I think it was both, uh, James. But uh, mm -hmm. I think it was really driven by an altar called Snake, um, okay. and Snake um, was created um, in um, the moment of um, the first violation uh, in great pain, and mm -hmm. um, and so he he perceived that he left the body. That was his perception: is that he left the body. And he didn't even while well, all the other altars really cared about me and, and cared about us as a system. Mm -hmm. uh, Snake couldn't care less, or at least that's what he said. And um, because he believed that he was outside of the body, he would say, I, I, I you know, your body is pathetic. Uh, you know, I don't need your body to keep living, you know. And so he was he was the part of me that drove that. Now, my my therapist also welcomed Snake um, and uh, and told him that he was a hurt child and had some of the other altars minister to him uh, in a sense uh, mm -hmm. towards the latter part of my therapy. And so he lost a lot of his venom, uh, but um, he he was the one who really was ready to get rid of this body uh, through suicide because um, because all it was was getting in the way. Uh, so, of course, because children are creating these parts, they're not always uh, uh, rational or practical. You know, we oh, all know yeah. that 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 if I if I died, he would die, too. But he didn't believe that. He thought that he was outside of the body and that he yes. manage. But that was his his desire was let's get rid of it because um, all it does is create pain. Yep. OK. Yeah. So I'm not sure where I was in the story. So oh, I know we were, oh. I was, the, the second the second ten years was really doing the healing work that one does uh, with your altars, but also I had trust issues, I had relationship and intimacy issues, I had lots of triggers that I had to work on that would would um, send me into uh, tremendous pain. So we worked on all those things for the next ten years. Um, towards the end of that 10 years, uh, my altars spontaneously um, and on their own integrated. Uh, now, that doesn't mean they're not still there because that's the way my brain was formed. But they um, they pretty much came to a place of trusting me to, to be able to resolve issues and problems. Um, and that, that uh, they decided that our lives would be better if uh, we functioned as one rather than yep. parts. Now, some uh, there are some folks with DID who do that healing work um, and and um, and and uh, come through the issues of relationship and triggers and uh, memories and so forth, uh, and decide that they want to remain in parts, um, and that's a valid choice. So the important thing is that you do all the healing work that you give all your altars. Uh, time to, um, uh, to to share their stories to tell you. Uh, yeah, I was going to say open feelings. up. Yeah, and 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 to uh, and to let them start communicating with each other, uh, so that there's no longer amnesia between them. And um, and and so once you've you, you've started to heal the um, symptoms of abuse of any kind, you know, that anybody who's been abused might experience, whether or not they have DID, you have to heal those those symptoms. And when you heal them, if your system, that's what we call the collection of alters and how they 
um, work with each other. Uh, if your system decides they'd rather stay in parts, they can do that. But uh, in my case, they um, uh, they they chose to integrate without my input, and and they just did it. Um, and leaving and, you to be the one in control. That's right. But for right. the most part, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them pops up now. The the last ten years. So if we talk about it, it, one thirds, one third, one third, mm -hmm. and a third, the last um, uh, ten years has been post uh, um, integration and. Um, uh, actually, no, actually, that's the last 20 years. I've been integrated for 20 years. So I guess I have to go back and do my geometry over again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, that has been, that has not been trouble free. Of course, as we all in life, we have, uh, we have faced different kinds of challenges. Um, but I've been able to face them uh, in a unified way. And I no longer have, um, uh, the the kind of triggers and memory body memories and um, uh, suicidal feelings. As a matter of fact, uh, I would guess I would say that my greatest and strongest um, feeling that I feel every single moment of my life is gratitude. I just feel so grateful for life uh, itself yes. and uh, for the gifts that I've been given. Um, and it, you know, it, it, you you probably noticed in my profile that I. I had a spiritual journey that was concurrent with the healing journey because I, I, I had been born and raised an atheist by my parents and it was very slow, but I, I, you know, the more, sometimes they say that God works through our wounds and uh, I was about as wounded as you could get. Well, I, had I can imagine. And so God found a way into me and uh, uh, ultimately in the end, I, I went to seminary and became an ordained minister uh, I'm retired now, um, but um, I do have a very fulfilling life. I am happy. Um, I have a, a wonderful husband, uh, and uh, I have children and grandchildren and one great-grandchild um, around Congratulations. the world, actually. So, there um, you go. Yeah, yeah. Now, the question is, um, same, the same husband been through all this with you? Not no no um we we because divorced. this is this is uh it could be overwhelming for for someone that doesn't understand right absolutely it, it so my well I'll, I'll give a plug for the book <laughs> if you want go to ahead. know yeah go that, ahead yes you know, go you ahead really get to them but um so my husband my first husband and I divorced and it was a very very painful and ugly divorce. And I won't go into that on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Some of that is in the memoir. Um, I tried not to put everything in it because it's too much of a downer. But yeah. it was really quite difficult. I, I want to say that my my ex-husband and I now have a good relationship. So hallelujah, praise God, it is possible. Yes. But um, it, it, at that time, it was really hard. Um, and I was alone for um 20 years i was alone for 20 years and i really yearned for a relationship um but i was still doing so much work uh and i guess i knew that i really wasn't healthy enough to have a healthy relationship and i had some friends um mm -hmm. through that time but i didn't have a, a an intimate partner 
Um, and uh, and then um, uh, in uh, I guess I was in my early sixties. Uh, I met my second husband and he fell madly in love with me and I fell madly in love with him. He was a wonderful man. There and, you go. Uh, praise God, sister. Praise God. But however, uh, uh, four days before our first anniversary, he died suddenly and unexpectedly. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry it for that. Was, it was tragic. And um, uh, but but the first thing that came to me was the grief is great, but the gratitude is greater. And, and that that shows you how how far I had come that I could say that because he and I, I had been in such pain for so many years and so alone for so many years that even though we had only been together for about a year and a half, um, I, I he, he gave me so much. And mm -hmm. I know I gave him so much too. And yes. so we were so both very lucky people. Um, so I, well, I don't, I, I don't use the word luck in a lot of places, uh, but I, I usually interchange it with blessed. Yes. You know, very blessed, blessed that right. both of you were able to find each other, yeah. even for a short term, there is so much more into it to grasp on a short term than again, nothing at all. Somebody, a friend of mine said to me, well, I said, I can't remember if I said it to her, or if she said it to me, but she's, you know, it was almost as if he was an angel that, that just dropped into my life, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and then I said, well, no, he definitely wasn't an angel, <laughs> but <laughs> who knows, you know, God's angels may be, uh, are, are probably all, um, uh, we're all tainted in our own ways. And so, but he was, a, he was a wonderful man. And I was, I was blessed. I was absolutely blessed and, 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 and deeply grieving um, his loss. But I had learned how to live through such trying and difficult circumstances that it wasn't hard for me to pick back up. I picked back up and I, at this point, I was still, uh, I was um, uh, in ministry and so I just picked back up in ministry and, and plowed ahead. And five years after that, I met my third husband, uh, who I've been with now for seven years. And he is equally wonderful. And God has blessed me um, for all the pain and all of the confusion and all the craziness and fear, shame and doom. Um, he has healed me of most all of that. And he has given me uh, the, this gift of intimacy, uh, gift of, of friendships, gift of um, purpose, and, um, uh, you know, gift of gratitude. And, and so I, I just give thanks for that. Um, and, and so I want to share this with your listeners who are struggling perhaps with all kinds of um, uh, challenges, very different from mine, perhaps. Maybe you, maybe a few of your listeners are struggling with DID, but other listeners may be uh, struggling with, with physical, um, um, spiritual, psychological, emotional, family, relationship issues, all kinds of issues. I just want to say um, that, um, uh, that, 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 your life is worth living and, and there is 
another side. Uh, there, there is a light at the end of the the, the tunnel, uh, and to hang on. Well, I like it. When, I like it when when my guests say they bring up the light at the end of the tunnel because then I like to throw in my little two cents worth. When you know that light at the end of the tunnel is not a train coming, you have made it to the other end <laughs> to live a life worth living. That is right. I, and I've had a few trains in the tunnel. That's right. That's right. Sometimes that light. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that light is not the end. So it may be the beginning of the next thing coming. But once you realize it's not that train, then, yeah, now we could go ahead and live that life. And James, you are so right, because the reality is that life is never perfect. And we we, we climb one mountain um, only to find another one that's up ahead. But I think as we as we climb more mountains uh, and as we grow in resilience uh, and we grow in uh, in faith, uh, that we can begin to take those those some of those mountains begin to shrink. Uh, they may they may look like mountains in, in the beginning, but um, we can handle them. We can manage them. We can get through them and we can get to the other side. And yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there definitely are some lights in the tunnels, the tunnels of the train. But, um, but in the end, there's a sense and a feeling of, um, of just of gratitude and of peace um, uh, with, and, and some of that is peace with knowing that I'm an imperfect person and I'm never going to be perfect uh, and I'm knowing that my life will never be perfect, but in knowing that that I've uh, come to this place of accepting myself and loving myself, and um, and loving the people um, uh, around me. So I, 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 you are getting me in, into a sermon here. So you probably need to stop. There we go. Well, you're doing great. Um, I, I, I would just uh, suggest that uh, I love hearing when people. Not that I, I mean, I'm hearing it through you. You're not saying what I'm specifically, but I'm hearing through you that um, when someone can sit back and kind of go, you know, when I look back at what I went through and how far I've come, how strong I've gotten, how strong I really am finding that out, and then being able to use that experience to get me over the next mountain with the tools that I've earned and, and used now to make things easier in life. Uh, and then again, perseverance is just right there at your grasp. Well, you just articulated it perfectly. You know, you, 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 life gives you tools and, and, and you learn it and you get through it. And I, I, I also want to say to anybody out there who does have DID or any other deeply emotionally troubling, um, illness that that in 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 standing here before you uh, as i hope an inspiration that healing can come in no way does that negate the pain you may be feeling now in no way does that negate um how overwhelmed you may feel in no way does that negate that you may not even want to uh, wake up tomorrow morning um because we've been there and, and that is real. And I want to affirm your reality. But I also want to affirm the fact that if you keep um, putting one foot ahead of the other, and if you seek out the 
support, help, treatment that you need. Um, and that, that if you reach out for people you can trust, um, you'll get there. You will get there. Yeah. Well, Lynn, I appreciate it. I've learned a little bit here, and I, and that's one reason I do this podcast is selfishly for me to learn, and but for you to help other people in the long run. Again, not necessarily people with DID, but like you mentioned earlier, emotional, physical, yeah, you know, from there mentally, that they're spiritually struggling as well, and from there. Hey, hey Lynn, go ahead and uh, tell people how they can – find you socially, how they can get a hold of your book, yes. your website? Yes. Uh, well, the, the book is available um, uh, on Amazon.com um, and uh, on uh, uh, BarnesandNoble.com and, and really on any online bookstore and there are many in-store in bookstores as well. Um, so it actually is on pre-order right now and it will be um, uh, released on January 3rd. Um, so, um, uh, uh, get there now. And, and actually if you use Kindle books, it's going to go, uh, if you pre-order, it will automatically be reduced to 99 cents when the book is, uh, uh, it's released. Uh, if you like paper bound books though, uh, go for it and, uh, and order that and you'll have it as a new year, uh, reading, um, uh, habit. To be put um, on their reading list for next year. <laughs> that's right. Reading list. For next year, um, so I have been. Um, uh, I do um, uh, have two different websites. Uh, one is www.linbarrett.com. That's L-Y-N-B-A-R-R-E-T-T.com, um, and I write a weekly blog. Uh, and you can read it uh, on my website. You can also sign up to have it come uh, in your uh, mailbox uh, once a week. So we, I also have a, um, a website that is called dissociativewriters.com. And that's at www.dissociativewriters.com writers, W-R-I-T-E-R-S.com. And that's for people who are interested in writing their own stories uh, about um, their dissociative disorders um, uh, or for people who write poetry uh, around their dissociative experiences. We have, um, uh, we have two different writers workshops currently that are free um, and that are uh, run, that they meet every other week, um, and they're a wonderful place for people who are healing from a dissociative order to um, connect with other folks uh, who are doing the same, and who um, who who um, write uh, in order to help um, uh, their healing progress. And you will find supportive. Um, and uh, supportive people who understand your story and, 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 and people that you can trust. It's very difficult for people with dissociative disorders um, to share their story uh, because from the beginning, we were sort of programmed not to, um, uh, not, not to share this story. It wasn't uh, for others to know. So uh, a writer's workshop is one way to do it in a very safe way. I'm a firm believer of people writing their own, their memoirs, their own life story. And, and especially with pain and 
it is evolved because it's a great form of therapy, putting it out there on paper, right. uh, whether you publish it or not. That's right. Just to put it down on paper or computer, it's a way to express yourself and get some emotions released. And, and, and publishing for some people is really just coming to a writer's workshop and sharing their writing. I mean, that, that's that's its own form of publication, you know. Yes, yes. Uh, so, so sharing it with one other person or writing it and taking it to your therapist. That's that's another way of, uh, of publishing, you know, your writing, mm -hmm. uh, sharing it with someone else. So um, you don't have to um, uh, find yourself in a bookstore to um, uh, to share your writing. There we go. Lynn, I'll put those links in the show notes for people that are coming back for the replay for to be able to find your information easier. And so, all right, Lynn, again, appreciate you being here. It's been very educational, inspiring. Uh, last thing here, we know that people are struggling, hurting today. If you can leave them with a positive message, I mean a powerful, positive message to get through today, that's going to be a blessing. This is a very simple but powerful message. You are worth it. You are worth it. I just want you to hear that and to let it sink in, to know that no matter what kind of pain you're experiencing, what kind of internal or external uh, chaos is in your life, you are worth it. And there's a difference between knowing and hearing you're worth it and believing you're worth it. Yes. Once you're believing, you're in great shape. Yes. Believe All right, it. Lynn, thank you for coming in. Hey, everybody else, thank you for coming in and listening. If you're on the replay, be sure to share this out. You know someone needs this hope, this inspiration to know that they can get through another day. So be sure to share this out to someone that you know that uh, needs some help. Hey, I'm Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. Again, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.